Today's sermon text is Proverbs 1, verse 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Welcome, everybody. It's so good to see you on our first day of uh, having double services. My name is Chris Bennett, and uh, it really is good to see you guys. Um, we're starting a new series today on the book of Proverbs, and um, wanted to uh, make sure everybody knew that uh, if you have a little baby that loves to preach like I do, especially during the sermon segment of the service, we have a wonderfully accommodated uh, audio video feed, nur- nursing mother's room right down the children's corridor. Uh, ladies only, you can, lo- you can use that room and your child can preach with me as much as he or she desires. Um, we're starting a new series today on the book of Proverbs. And um, I love the book of Proverbs. It is one of those books that gets into the weeds. It, it's not a book that addresses necessarily the clear rules on how to live, but it gets in the weeds and all the complexities and helps us to answer and interact with the questions that just don't have simple answers. That's what I love about Proverbs. Like Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen says this, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. It'll be counted as cursing. Now, my mom and dad gave me lessons growing up. Some of the lessons they told me were, hey, um, make sure you treat girls properly. Make sure you don't stay out too late. Don't get drunk. Things like that. Things that there were clear rules on. But my mom or dad, no offense to them, I haven't done this with my kids yet, never pulled me aside and said, Chris, now listen, let me tell you something else. When you get up early in the morning and you're really excited about Jesus, don't be loud about that because the people who are sleeping will not count that as a blessing, but you will be looked at as a curse in their lives. Nobody has ever told me that before, but it's in Proverbs. It's God's word. God wants us to know this. He wants us to know that. And so just thinking about Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. What can we glean from this verse? Here's, here's at least a few ideas. Maybe you can think of some more. First is this. God cares about things like courtesy. He cares about courtesy. He cares about civility, about the way we treat one another about cultivating sensitivities in our relationship so that we don't get loud and alienate people. God cares about stuff like that. God, here's another thought, God wants your friends and your family to appreciate you, not be alienated by you because you're loud. And another one is just because you feel spiritually euphoric doesn't mean that everybody else has to feel that too. This is in God's Word. 
God cares about the weeds. He cares about the things that we would think he has no time to think of because he's running the universe. He cares about those things. One of the things that we meet, one of the one commentator that I was reading said it this way, and I really love this. He said, in the book of Proverbs, we don't necessarily meet a lawgiver. The God that we meet in the book of Proverbs is our mentor. He is our life coach. He wants to show us how to live skillfully in this world. Why? Because God loves us. God loves us. Now, before you get, if you're tempted to think at all that, man, you know, where's Jesus in this? I want to remind you that in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verse 30, the scripture says this, and because of him, because of the God who saved us, you are in Christ who becomes to us the wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom from God. And so I want to make it really clear at the outset of this series that we are not just talking about pragmatic strategies on how to live this life. We are talking about an invitation from God to imitate Jesus, to live in Jesus, and to have Jesus live his life wisely through all of us. As a matter of fact, I want to talk about several things that the book of Proverbs isn't just to frame this series. The first one is this. Proverbs, as I mentioned a moment ago, is not pragmatism. Pragmatism is when we assess an idea as fact or as true because it just shakes out in the end. It works. It's the end justifies the means. Well, I think rational thinking people know that not always does the end justify the means. Proverbs is not pragmatism. Proverbs is not merely a life skills book to get us to the end okay without too many bumps and bruises. That's not what Proverbs is. Here's a second thing that Proverbs is not. Proverbs is not moralistic. It does not teach that we should have a transactional relationship with God so that as we give him our obedience and good works, God gives us in return blessings because we earned them. Proverbs is not moralistic. It's not. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs, the basic assumption, one of the basic assumptions is that it was a book written to God's people. People who were already in covenant with God. Who God has already said, I set my love on you and I want to take you and show you how to navigate this life well for my glory and for your joy. Proverbs is not moralistic. It is not about saving ourselves or earning God's blessings. So Proverbs is not pragmatic. Proverbs is not moralistic. And the third thing is this. Proverbs is not triumphalistic. Proverbs is not a body of principles that we can leverage so that it will yield a pleasurable life. That is not what the book of Proverbs is about. It is not about using God's principles to get everything that we want out of this life. It's not what it's about. So what is it about? To get underneath the book of Proverbs, we're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning. Um, Here I want to talk about for a moment what Proverbs is. What it is. 
Better said, I want to talk about what wisdom is. Now, I'm laying some groundwork. It's, uh, it's 9.53. Yesterday morning at this time, a lot of you were sleeping. Um, so I want you to go with me, lean into this. Don't make me do all the work this morning. I want you to join me in the book of Proverbs so that we can begin to grasp skills in how to read and study and examine this book and then apply what it teaches to our lives. I mean, that's why we all get up and do this thing, right? So we can grow in Jesus and learn how to live for him. Y'all share that assumption with me? Okay. Anybody else? Oh, I see you people back there. You're like, no, I'm not raising my hand. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. I'm not going to do it. So I forgive you and I love you. Um, so here's what Proverbs or wisdom is, okay? I want to start here. Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. We're going to have a lot of verses today, so get ready. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. God founded the earth by wisdom. Isn't that interesting? So what we see right out of the blocks this morning is that the purpose of wisdom is not that it's a reaction against brokenness or stupidity. Wisdom came before brokenness and stupidity. Wisdom is necessary even in the absence of sin and stubbornness. Wisdom. God founded the earth by his wisdom. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom came before it all. Brokenness did not happen, and then wisdom came as a response to brokenness. Wisdom is not a reaction to brokenness. Wisdom is not a gift that is given to God's people because, solely because this world is broken and God wants us to live skillfully. That's one of the benefits of wisdom, living skillfully in a broken world. But that's not the why behind wisdom. The why behind wisdom is deeper than that. It's more textured than that. It's richer than that, and it's more beautiful than that. Wisdom is proactive. Wisdom is primary. Wisdom is the prime mover, if you will. Wisdom came first. Wisdom came first. So, if God created the world by wisdom, then that takes us all the way back to the creation account in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Check this out. So God created man in his own image. So as God is creating man... God is creating by his power according to his what again? Starts with the W, sounds like isdom. Wisdom. God created humankind according to his wisdom. He says, in the image of God, he created him. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the years on what, what exactly does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Does it mean that because God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we are also triune beings? Some say that we are, you know, body, soul, spirit, and others say, well, wait a second, spirit and soul are the same thing, yada, yada, yada. I don't want to get into all those metaphysical debates. But I have come to believe very strongly, and you can disagree with this if you want, I can't necessarily prove this, Absolutely, but I've come to believe strongly that when the scriptures teach that we are made in God's image, that what it means is that we are God's representatives on the earth. We are an extension 
of God and His ways. We've got a responsibility to do something that syncs up with God's will, with what God wants for this world. Okay? So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. He blessed them. And when God blessed them, this is what that blessing looks like. Here's what it is fleshed out. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Not conquer it, but cultivate it. Bring the chaos of the created order into alignment with the glory and the beauty of God. The glory and the beauty of God. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's what we can get from this. Keeping wisdom in mind. Okay? Now what's behind the creation? What was the creative impulse behind creation? Wisdom. Wisdom was. So God created in wisdom. Then he made humanity in wisdom as at the top of the created order. And he said, you are made in my image. We are God's representatives on the earth. We're made in his image. And then he said, as a result of being made in his image, he gave us responsibilities. He gave us a stewardship on the earth. What's that stewardship? To cultivate, I think you can say it this way. To cultivate, to beautify, and bring order to God's creation. To cultivate, beautify, and bring order to God's creation. So in cultivating the earth, which is what all people should be doing, a lot of people aren't, but what a lot of people should be doing, cultivating, beautifying this earth, What's going on is we are carrying forward God's creative impulse or wisdom. Wisdom. I've got a little graphic to show you guys about that. In the same way that God created by his wisdom the earth, humanity made in God's image cultivates the earth by wisdom. We cultivate the earth by wisdom. So we've got to, out of the box, we've got to expand our view of wisdom before we even brush up against the book of Proverbs. Because if you go to Proverbs with, oh, okay, here's some life principles, you're missing it. This is connected to the creative impulse of God that caused him to create all the heavens and the earth, the entire universe. We carry on that creative impulse in the way that we live and conduct our lives. Or we should. Or we should. We carry that forward. So whatever realm that we touch with our lives, we are to bring about beauty, order, and flourishing. Beauty, order, and flourishing. And as we do that, We are living and walking in God's wisdom. God's wisdom. So you can can bring about God's wisdom in parenting. 
And when I say parenting, I'm not saying here's some skills you can live by and some things to remember to be a better parent. I'm talking about bringing beauty and order and flourishing to your marriage or your future marriage. That is the act of living in wisdom. So we bring flourishing or wisdom to parenting, to your career or your job. Think about all of the, of the temptations and the impulses you feel in the workplace. And when you think about your identity as a career person, we're often buffeted by impulses of greed and jealousy and anger and rage and all that stuff, selfishness. And there's a different way to approach your job, and it's the way of wisdom. It's the way of wisdom. It's bringing flourishing and beauty and cultivation to your career and everyone and everything you touch as you follow your career. You can apply the same logic to your educational development because God gave you a brain and he he intended for you to use it. I know all of us in this room aren't academics, but all of us are intended to use our brains skillfully. What does it look like to use your brain skillfully? It is to leverage your brain for the flourishing, the beauty, and the order of the world around you and your inner life. That's why God gave you a brain. And so every one of us should be thinking, processing, learning, from taking online classes as an adult who's got school years far behind you to a young person who's approaching school or a young person who's still in grade school. The way that you approach your education is wisdom or should be wisdom. Or maybe maybe you escaped high school like I did. You're like, what do I do now? And years down the road, you can still position yourself, posture yourself to grow, to develop and work on your critical thinking skills and learn. And don't push back from studying the scriptures because it's just kind of hard. Because God gave you a brain. God gave you a brain. He intends for you to use it. That's the act of wisdom. You don't have to become an academic. Just use that beautiful brain that God's given you. You can apply wisdom to the fine arts. You can apply wisdom to marriage and sexuality. You can apply wisdom to friendship. Certainly church life and most definitely mission and evangelism for the glory of Jesus. All that falls under the category of wisdom. They're not separate categories. Parenting, evangelism, discipleship. It's all wisdom. It's God's world and all of those categories are intended to bring flourishing to God's world. So it's all wisdom. All of it is. Every bit. Check this out. 1 Kings 4, 29 through 34. Um, Solomon was a pretty wise dude, the Bible says. And in verses 29 and 30, this is what um, whoever wrote 1 Kings says about Solomon. We think maybe Jeremiah wrote 1 Kings. We're not sure. But whoever wrote 1 Kings, this anthology of all of these kings that ruled Israel, from David all the way to the end to exile. In 1 Kings, this is what the writer says about King Solomon. He says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Beyond measure. And breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. 
so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the earth and all the wisdom of Egypt. And then in the next several verses, the writer describes what it looked like for Solomon to have wisdom. And you know what he says? He says he wrote over 3,000 poetic proverbs. He was artistic and he was wise and he brought those things to bear in the writing of Proverbs. He composed over 1,000 songs, 1,005 to be exact. Over a thousand, He says, he was wise, let me prove to you how wise he was. He wrote lots of music. Do you ever think of wisdom that way? Not only that, but he studied plants. And the person who wrote 1 Kings goes through the pains to tell us that Solomon studied the cedars of Lebanon and then he would walk up to a crack in the wall in Jerusalem and look at the, at the, at the plants that were growing, the, the hyssop plants that were growing in the cracks of a wall. He was fascinated by all of God's creation. Why? Because he just had a fertile mind? No, because God gave him the gift of wisdom. Wisdom. He even studied animals, beasts, birds, reptiles, fish. It says that right there in 1 Kings 4. That's, that was the evidence of Solomon's wisdom. His fascination with creation. Creation. I want to add a little dimension to this. Um, next step here. Wisdom, or the act of living in wisdom, brings shalom to the earth. Anybody heard the word shalom before? It's a common Jewish greeting. It simply means peace to you or peace. All through the scriptures, the word shalom is translated as either blessed or peace, typically. We are called to bring peace and welfare and blessing to people and to every arena that we touch. That's where that comes from. It's, it, underneath all of that is wisdom. It's wisdom. But I want to expand the definition of shalom just so we can get this because shalom is not just a Jewish thing. It's for all of God's people. All people who follow Jesus are called to bring shalom or wisdom to the created order. Shalom basically means this. It means wholeness, completeness, perfection, bounteous conditions. I like that word bounteous. I'm going to add that to my my arsenal. Moral value. Security. It's to bring security to people around you and things around you. Prosperity. Tranquility. Unblemished circumstances and blessed harmony. Those are all the ideas that make up that word shalom. And all of those ideas we should be reaching for in our lives to bring to the world around us. We should be bringing this to the world around us. The evidence of wisdom is more than making good life decisions. It's bringing all of those things, wholeness, completeness, perfection, bounteous conditions, all of that stuff to bear where there is only ugly, stubborn darkness in our world. That's what it means to bring shalom or to live in wisdom. So here's my question. What part of your life would you characterize as ugly, stubborn darkness? Don't say it out loud. We all don't need to hear that. 
But if you're taking notes or you're jotting some ideas down on your smartphone or whatever you're doing, or maybe you're just, your mind is so brilliant, you can memorize every point that we've made and edify yourself with that later. Maybe you can do that. I don't know. I can't do that. But um, uh, so I want to ask, I want, I want you to think right now, like, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of ugly, stubborn darkness in your life? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Because that area of your life needs wisdom. So I want to go through just a few Proverbs here. Maybe the first thing that came to your mind is a marriage that's gone toxic. What does Scripture say about that? Look at Proverbs 15 verse 1. This isn't a marriage proverb, but this applies. It gets down into the weeds of the conflict that exists between you and your spouse. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man. So who wins? That's not the point. This gets below all the stuff that you're mad at her about and that she's mad at you about. This gets below that, and this calls you to cultivate a new kind of posture in the way that you relate to your spouse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The irony of that text is that my mom made me memorize that when I was a kid, and I always responded very harshly when she made me quote that in the morning. What's that? Yeah, with a loud voice in the morning. Um, here's another one. What about people who are really have a lot of religious fervor? Because that's alienated a lot of people in our culture. People with religious fervor and don't have the morality to back it up. What do we do with that? Proverbs 19.2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. That applies to a lot of things. I think about what makes us crazy about social media, or at least makes me crazy, is all of the um, lack of developed thought underneath all of our rants that we like to put on, on social media. Here's another one. What about our obsession with vanity? The way that we look, the way that we appear. I've wanted to preach this proverb my whole life, and I finally get to do it. Proverbs 11.22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Finally. You take me home, Lord. Um, I've always wanted to say that in a sermon. Um, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Now, now you, you can't read that and not feel it. You feel that. A beautiful woman without discretion or caution or self-respect is the same thing as a beautiful golden ring in a pig's snout. That doesn't, that's not right. And so there's at least a couple of words here for folks and not just about you ladies. I think the possessor of beauty, and notice he doesn't say it's wrong to be beautiful. He doesn't say everybody's beautiful, everybody looks the same. He He doesn't get politically correct here. He just says, hey, there are people who are, just have what it, just have it on the outside. And the possessor of beauty should not find their identity in their beauty. Nor should beauty be leveraged to control, manipulate, coerce. And then the person who beholds beauty, you better watch out. 
There is not enough beauty that can make up for foolishness. Run. (laughs) Run. Scripture has a lot to say about all these things that we struggle with if we let Jesus get into the weeds of our lives. What about charity and greed? Proverbs eleven twenty four, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What does the world say is the way to prosperity? Hoarding. Greed. God says, and here's, this is really clear, we need to really thread this needle because prosperity, that word's been hijacked. Whenever we hear prosperity these days, generally speaking, we're going to hear lots of money, nice cars, a big house, all that kind of stuff. That is not what Scripture means by prosperity. Prosperity here in this context means something very different. True prosperity is experiencing the full life that comes with being woven into a community and living an other-centered, generous life. That's true prosperity. This is why those of us who struggle with greed often withdraw from relationships and are drawn into money, possessions, things, all that stuff. All that stuff. True prosperity is experiencing a tapestry of community where you can really live an other-centered life rather than a self-centered life. What about finding a wife? I love the NIV, uh, Proverbs 31.10. A wife of noble character... Who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. He's not saying it's impossible to find a wife of noble character. He's saying they're a rare breed. They're a rare breed. What's the message underneath that? Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't let desperation pull you to a golden ring and a pig's snout. And that's a word for ladies as well. Because men can also be golden rings and pig's snouts. But a a wonderful wife, a wise and cautious wife, and a wise and cautious husband are both more valuable than rubies. What about when it comes to managing our souls? What's going on on the interior? What's happening inside of us? What's happening in our inner dialogue? What do we do about that? Proverbs 4.23, I love, again, the NIV says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What are we guarding our heart from? Unwise, poisonous influences. And what happens with our hearts when we don't guard them from unwise, poisonous influences? That stuff begins to come out of us. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, different context, it's what comes out of him. So what we consume, what we feast on with our hearts... Jesus was talking about religious traditions like eating out of, drinking out of clean cups and stuff like that. That's why he said that. In this context, he's talking about what our hearts feast on. And when our hearts, whatever our hearts feast on, we will not be able to control what comes out of us. We are what we consume. Or as James K. Smith said in his wonderful book that I commend, you are what you love. You are what you love. Another one. What about isolation? So many folks these days fight community and live isolated lives. Like you would think that 99% of our whole world is, is introverted based on what people claim about themselves. 
Proverbs 18.1, New King James Version. Check this out. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Feel that. You don't feel like you're raging when you're being a loner. But scripture is assessing you. It's saying, I know you don't realize you're raging, but you are. You are. You're not called to be alone. You're not called to be alone. To do it by yourself. And so all of this stuff, Proverbs says, is written to a particular kind of person. And that particular kind of person is the simple. You should write that down if you're taking notes. The simple. Because that's you. And that's me. (laughs) The simple are contrasted with the wise all throughout the book of Proverbs. The simple. It's interesting, there's a word that's used in the Hebrew for simple. And it it translates this way. To be open. To be open. Why does he to be open? What does that mean? It's said this way. One, one theologian said it this way. The simple keeps his options open. He is uncommitted. What's he uncommitted to? To the act of cultivating and gaining wisdom. He's uncommitted. He's easily overtaken by impulse because he's not rooted in principle. So impulse just bangs us around. Impulse does. He's easily overtaken. And because of this person, the simple's apathy toward discretion, the simple suffer. That's why Proverbs 22.3 says this, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Why do the simple keep doing this? Why do the simple push back on this? When I read those Proverbs a few minutes ago about a ring and a pig's snout or finding a, a, a woman or a good woman or whatever, all that stuff, when I, when I read all those things, what was your reaction to those things? Was there an eagerness to accept it or was there a, uh, no thanks, not going there. I like the way I look. It's my identity. It's the only thing I've got. People notice me because of the way I look. People love me. At least they say they love me. Because of the way I look. You take that away from me, I'm worthless. The simple reject proverbial wisdom. The wise are eager to accept it. The wise accept it. Why do the simple reject it? Because caution, discernment, and wise counsel interfere with our passions and our impulses. They interfere with our passions and our impulses. So I'm going to bring it in for a landing by just framing the first seven verses here for us. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord, the fundamental under all this stuff, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge, the beginning of everything. And so in the first seven verses, here's something that you'll see if you look at it kind of closely. Verse one is this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then he says this, in verse 2, he lays out two points that Proverbs is going to address. You ready? If you're taking notes, you should write this down. This is really good. If you want to know why we're doing Proverbs, this is what he wants you to get out of Proverbs. The first is this, 
to know wisdom and instruction. He says that in verse 2a. To know wisdom and instruction. He wants you to know wisdom and instruction. And then he says this. To understand words of insight. So the two goals of Proverbs are this. To know wisdom and instruction. Anybody want to know wisdom and instruction? I do. I need it. I really need it. Anybody want to understand words of insight? You want to get that? And so you see this, how verse 3 and 4 correspond with the first point. Stay with me. In verses 3 and 4 it says this. To receive instruction in wise dealing. Anybody want to know how to deal wisely? But notice this. He doesn't just say wise dealing. He could put a period there and you're like, cool, I'm going to receive instruction and in how to live my life wisely. He didn't say that. He didn't stop there. He says it's to receive, receive instruction in wise dealing and in righteousness, justice, and equity. So wisdom just is not limited to my own living my life wisely so I can make it through to the end with as few bruises as I can accumulate. Wisdom is about living my life wisely so that I can avoid bruises and bumps and all that stuff. But it's also living my life in such a way that I bring about justice and equity to the world around me. If you're trying to ignore what's happening in St. Louis, that's not wise. God wants us to walk into the tension of what's happening. And it's hard. Because there are lots of people who are saying, ah, and lots of people saying, ah, and God wants us to get into the middle and have a more nuanced, cultivated, learned opinion and position on this. Because there aren't any easy answers for what's going on right now up there. There are no easy answers. People want easy answers. People are going to get mad at us because we don't have an easy answer. And I'm not saying retreat in fear. I'm talking about using caution and discretion in the way you measure the world around you. Why? Because God wants us to grow in understanding so that we can not just have wise dealings in our own lives, but also bring justice and equity to the world around us. If you're tired of the subject of justice and equity, man, you're tired of Jesus. Because from cover to cover in our Bible, he wants us to be people who are concerned with justice. Justice. And then here's the second thing he wants us to think about. Look at verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now my first pushback when I read that is this. Why can't you just give it to me straight? Why do you want me to think about a riddle? I hate riddles. I'm terrible at figuring out riddles. I look at riddles and like people are like, oh, I get it, totally get it. I'm like, what? I totally, I don't, I don't understand what this is about. Tell me what the riddle means. Why? What is the point of riddles? It's to get you chewing. Because you're not going to hold on to wisdom if you don't wrestle with it. How many times have you heard an amazing point in a church service? You're like, man, life-changing. Like, what, what, what did you hear? You're like, um, it was life-changing. What was that again? It was something about Jesus. Um, he wants you to chew on this stuff. That's why Proverbs are written this way. So we will be chewing on it. Chew on it. And then in verse 5, he says something really interesting, and we'll close here. Verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Now, isn't that interesting? Why doesn't he say, let the fools hear 
and increase in learning. Let those who lack discretion hear. Because underneath all of this stuff, guys, is this. Wisdom is a posture before it's a possession. If you want wisdom, you can't be stubborn. You've got to be teachable. You've got to be eager to learn. You've got to be willing to sit under the wisdom and the gray hair of somebody who's walked a few more steps than you have. And not bring your complexity to it, but just learn. Humble yourself. This is calling us to reach for humility in our lives. Reach for humility. Wisdom is a posture before it's a possession. So this is what we're going to be dealing with for the next, I don't know how many weeks. We might carry this series all the way through the end of November. But when I look at the world around us, I see how the world hates nuance and they want black and white. They want screaming and yelling and, and loud opinions with little intellectual formation. All of us are caught in this world. Few people really love wisdom. But wisdom is more than just making good decisions for your life. Wisdom is about living an equitable, justice-driven life for those people around you. And wisdom is about living in such a way that we bring about flourishing to the world around us because we are continuing God's creative impulse, which was done according to wisdom. Wisdom. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray, oh God, that through this series we would find wisdom to be beautiful and lovely and something to be treasured. Lord, your word says in Proverbs that we should be greedy for wisdom. We should seek it like gold. And I pray, God, that as we seek wisdom, we would seek your face, your life. I thank you, Jesus, that because Jesus is wisdom personified, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus can live in wisdom, be run by wisdom, be controlled by wisdom, and experience the blessings and the prosperity of wisdom. Dear friends, it is a privilege, it is an honor to lead this church with our elders, and I really, really hope you'll commit to being here each week as we learn the ways of wisdom, the creative ways of God to bring flourishing to our world. God bless you. See you next week.